Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm so excited. I just finished my Great Courses Plus class called Why You Are Who You Are, Investigations into Human Personality. Personality research, one of my favorite topics. So accessible. This is the single most accessible class that I have ever taken. I think that anyone could listen to it. I think that you could play it uh, to a friend or spouse or family member or whatever, and they would immediately grasp these these topics, even if they've never had any interest in science or anything before. And it's really just such a fantastic uh, subject. I, I like having a few different classes going on at once, and I feel like I make novel connections that way and then remember things better. And but this this class that I finished, it just had me thinking so much. I've been kind of struggling um, with my organizational skills and kind of fell out of my exercise. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about this in the in the bonus content of the show. But just understanding the different aspects of your personality that drive different behavior, different levels of, say, conscientiousness is like an easy kind of broad one. But really digging into how. Um, like in my case, low levels of conscientiousness have really negatively affected my life. I, I have a lot of things going with me. I'm a fairly smart guy. I'm pretty creative. I'm I'm pretty ambitious. I'm an adventurous person, but I am not a very responsible and organized person. I, I take too many risks in life and and I, uh, I, I just gamble with my myself and my well-being and my livelihood too much. And, um, you know, it makes for an interesting life. But just thinking about those aspects of my personality and, and hearing about, you know, the kind of um, common personality traits that others have and what leads to that, the some of the genetic underpinnings and, and really a lot of what happened in your upbringing, different parenting styles that shaped who you are, that shaped the way you're influencing your own children. So important to listen to. And um, and I love these great courses plus programs because they you really get to dive into a subject and learn so much. And it's just th- this course, uh, Why You Are Who You Are, Investigations into Human Personality, has just given me so much more empathy for people. I, I think knowing that there's kind of like a genetic basis between some of these different personality differences that, say, lead people to have different political um, uh, differences, different differences in reliability, differences in um, in you know agreeableness and and um, how social someone is, and to hear about some of these and to just know that we all have these unique personalities, we all have these these pros and cons to to how we are and and trying to find a balance in some of these personality traits, how flexible some of these traits are, things that you can you can do uh, to emphasize your your strengths and maybe work on some of your weaknesses. Just incredibly enlightening. Uh, one of, I, I mean, this stuff is really, really interesting content for anybody, but I think especially if you've, if, say if you haven't, maybe you're like me and you didn't go to college, maybe you didn't like school and, and you've never taken a class. I, this is a really, really great starter class of, of uh, hearing something really thought-provoking, 
but accessible at the same time. So you can start your free month today. Sign up at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash here we are. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash here we are. I'd really appreciate you guys supporting. Uh, th- this is a partnership that I've really worked hard for. It's perfect for the show for reasons I shouldn't even need to explain to you guys, but taking these courses will help in making this podcast more thought-provoking, and then and this podcast will help with uh, understanding these courses as well and seeing things from different points of view. So really couldn't recommend this stuff enough, and enjoy today's episode. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I'm talking with Assistant Professor of Marketing at the University of Cincinnati. Ryan Rahanel is joining me today. Ryan, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on here. Yeah, thanks for coming on the Here We Are podcast. We like talking about marketing. It's interesting because it's one of those topics that I'm not sure I like fully understood <laughs> before I got like really interested in life sciences and all of this kind of stuff and discovered consumer behavior uh, and behavioral economics and, yeah. and those kinds of fields that like blew my mind. I didn't, I didn't really think about marketing that in depth. I wasn't sure that it would be a subject I'd be interested in, but it's so fascinating. There's so many interesting insights just to, into the human mind and into ourselves that we glean from marketing and it's uh it's a really cool field love having marketing people on the show what what do you do what's your what's your area so these days i I mostly study uh brands and branding so a lot of the work on on branding has really focused on you know what can we do with brands to you know make people think the brand is better or more interesting or more favorable. A lot of my current work more focuses on the role of brands in people's lives and how it interfaces with society in a broader sense. So actually one of the papers that we have, uh, it's not published yet, it's, it's kind of in revision, but we're studying what happens when people are exposed to brands. Uh, so we do know a little bit about that from prior literature. For example, there's some work showing that you know being exposed to a given brand, so let's say Apple, right? Uh, and because Apple is associated with creativity, it actually prompts you to be creative. Um, and that's just simple exposure. I just kind of see the Apple logo. Uh, what we're looking at in our work is what happens when people are exposed to you know just brands in general. Not any one brand, just a, a host of brands. So interestingly, what we find is that when we expose people to brands versus some other stimuli, so let's say just like shapes that have even the same kinds of colors as the brand logos that we are showing. Uh, and then we give people a preferential decision after. So we ask people, you know, um, what would you like to do later? And it's like, you know, homework or do some chores or whatnot. Hmm. Um, when people are exposed to brands, they actually find that subsequent decision easier to make, even though it has nothing to do with the brands that they're being exposed to. 
Huh. Uh, yeah. See, yeah, that, that's <laughs> so that's fascinating. So give me kind of like a specific what, what's a study that that you've done? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's one in which we uh, get people, we get students in the class, or sorry, in the, in the into the lab, and we tell them, hey, well, we're going to give you this. Um, I think we frame it as a motor task or something. And we say, hey, you're going to be asked to drag and drop these brand logos on the computer um, into a pre-specified box. And so there's like six boxes or something. So in one, on the first trial, we'll say like, hey, like, you know, please drag and drop the the BIC logo or American Airlines logo into box D. It's just like simple motor tasks. They do it like 15 times. And then uh, we give people kind of that same task I described actually, like, what would you like to do later? And there's six options. Um, I think doing chores, homework is one of them. Um, I I can't recall the other ones, but uh, they make a decision on which one they'd like to do. And then we ask them afterwards, you know, how easy was it for you to choose what you wanted to do later? And so I forgot to mention there's, you know, people drag and drop the brands or they drag and drop shapes that we've kind of made to have some of the same colors of the brands and they're just not the brand logos Mm -hmm. um but same general shape they would never think that it's the brand logo if you just saw that shape and the people who saw the brands or were drag and dropping the brands 15 times found that decision easier to make subsequently Mm -hmm. versus when they were dragging the other people who were drag and dropping the uh the shapes and so our explanation for that is that what brands do is that <clears throat> when I'm exposed to them is they prompt a cognitive readiness is what we call it like a readiness for preferential decision making and it's really based on these these old concepts of you know associations in our heads right and so when we're every time we see brands we're making these preferential decisions right when we're going through a grocery store we're like oh you know like what chip should i get <laughs> you know and um as we do that over and over and over again right it builds this association in our minds between brands and preferential decisions such that when we see brands and we're not making preferential decisions it still makes us kind of ready to make them mm. and it's that readiness that makes it easier because when you're ready to do something it's easier it's kind of like what we describe it is it's almost like stretching before a workout you know stretching makes the workout easier hmm. right and we do it every time so that it makes it easier and so um yeah we have some interesting studies in that package and, and that's generally what we're finding it's it's really really neat because like i said the decisions really have nothing to do with the brands they can be completely removed from what brands were showing them that is fascinating yeah huh so maybe this is this is why like yogis that that go meditating in a cave or whatever for so long this is why they don't come out it's just <laughs> they haven't seen a brand in so long it becomes impossible to take action and make any decision and how and how they're, I would they're I would really paralyzed. uh really really love it if the effect was that big <laughs> that would be terrific uh, it's 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 unfortunately not i mean fortunately or not unfortunately depending on who you are but yeah no it's um it's really really strange even when we first found it we it, it's one of those papers where you know i i found the effect for the first time in graduate school in minnesota and i was it was one of these things where we had extra time in the laboratory i didn't know what to run and i kind of threw something together really quickly and um 
I wasn't even really looking for it. I had a bunch of measures I was taking at the same time. I was just trying to see what brain exposure was doing. And this is one of the ones that popped out. I said, really? Okay, like let's, I don't know. Like maybe that was just kind of a fluke. And so I actually tabled it for a couple of years, at least a couple of years I tabled it. Cause I really just, I thought it was so incredulous that it happened. And then I uh, was with a talking to a graduate student at the University of Cincinnati, who's now a, a co-author on the paper. Uh, we're co-first authors. And she's like, oh, that's really interesting. You know, we should do that. I was like, oh, okay. I mean, let's see if it works. I mean, I don't know. I, I've, it's so incredulous. I think, I think it's kind of fluky, but, you know, let's, let's try it. And so, I mean, we've just done a lot of different things and it's amazing. Everything kind of just seems to work. And mm. It's one of these things where every time it works, we're still surprised it happens, you know, because it is kind of a fun. Yeah, thing, I guess know? I don't even fully understand what's happening there. Is, is it that? Is it that brands are just this inherent signal of like, hey, there's a consumption decision or something like that to be made, and so so that's activating the decision making part of the brain ahead of time so that when you then you give any other decision that that area has already kind of been activated and primed and is yep. and is ready to take action it's it's very close to that yeah what i would say is qualifying statements there are are that because uh, we're starting to learn more about the effect now um, and we're trying these different things and so uh, and part of that's the revision process and the you know the reviewers and editors have been really great with us on this one um so if they're out there, you guys have been awesome. Please accept our paper. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's only reviewers <laughs> listen to this podcast. That's all of my audience. Um, so one thing we've discovered is that it doesn't work for all decisions. It only works for decisions in which there is a preference that's being kind of made because these are the kind of processes um, that are associated with brands in in the real world when we kind of make this cognitive association. So, you know, when we're typically exposed to brands in consequential scenarios, we're not exposed to them as a result of doing uh, decisions that are based on things like correctness. There's no objective, you know, correct thing to do. So it's not like we're doing, you know, a math test or we're trying to estimate like, you know, how many, you know, ping pong balls would fit into an airplane. These objective things, these objective reasoning things, they seem to be local to preferential processes. Um, so that's that's part of it. Um, they also seem to be, what also seems to be happening is that it's only activated when we're exposed to multiple brands. Um, so if we are, you know, in, a, in a, the Apple store, and we're only seeing the Apple brand, um, it doesn't seem to work then. And that's very much actually in line with our theory because when you're exposed to only one logo, what's dominating there is the associations with that brand. So when we see the Apple logo, we think, oh, that's Apple. We don't think, oh, that's a brand. Mm -hmm. But when we expose ex people to, you know, Apple, American Airlines, um, Bic, Nike, all in one kind of, condensed temporal sequence that's when we start to think oh okay I'm, I'm seeing brands i'm not seeing apple i'm not seeing you know that's a more general kind of 
Is there a difference concept. if they're in the same category or a different category? If I, if you're like exposing people to um, apples or PCs, or if you're exposing people to like what you said, apples and Bix, you're t- mm-hmm. you're, is there any kind of difference there? So I'm now starting to suspect you you are one of our reviewers um, because uh, we did get that question <laughs> as well. Our sense is that that would likely not work as well. Um, because one, you really have to roll up the uh, categorization or perception into what we might call the, the brand node in our brain. Mm. Right? We have to be thinking, I'm seeing brands. If it's at any lower level of categorization, so let's say the category, right? we're going to start thinking, oh, well, these are shoe brands. Um, and it's not going to activate that association as, as well. Um, with hmm. preferential decision making. I mean, it, it could, but what we've done is we've exposed people to one brand. And so that's the more extreme level of it. So we can get a clean test of whether this lower level of categorization is really doing anything. And it doesn't seem like it is. It seems like you need that, the multiple brand exposures um, from different categories to kind of get there because that's when we start to think, oh, okay, I'm seeing brands, not just, you know, um, one brand or all the same type of brand kind of deal. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess the, maybe the most important question I'm going to ask you, um, how many ping pong balls do fit in the airplane? Um, I don't know then, why that came to mind. I think, I, I think that was primed me as well. Um, I was talking to someone recently and we were talking about consulting and kind of the weird, uh, interview questions you get into cons- in consulting interviews. Hmm. And, um, she was like, yeah, it's stuff like how many ping pong balls fit in an airplane? And you have to, they don't really know or care even if you get the right answer. <laughs> they really care about reaction. like how you're, how you're thinking about things and how you're reasoning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's why it came to mind. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so I, I would say about two and a half million in like a smaller um like in like a 747 yeah <laughs> um i guess 747 is larger um so uh, more important topics <laughs> um is is this brand priming is this part of why or is this a completely unrelated thing it just makes me think of why i sometimes just buy a thing just to be buying something like i i stop for gas I go to use the bathroom in the convenience store and I don't really need or even want anything. And I'm just kind of like, I don't know, something is activated in my mind. I'm just like, I think I'll just, I'll buy something. I'll like pick out, I'll get an iced tea or like a, some sprees or something like that. (laughs) And I didn't necessarily really want, like while I was driving, I didn't like pull over for those things. It wasn't my intention. It is that, or is that a completely unrelated thing? Um, at face value, it seems like there could be a few different things explaining that type of phenomenon. Um, we haven't tested whether being exposed to brands makes people seek out preferential decisions. So, but it is perhaps one implication that this could have is that, you know, let's say, um, I've been exposed to brands recently. I've watched 
TV and I've just seen, you know, different commercials. That's one of the things I actually think about when I think about our paper is like when we're watching TV and we see, you know, commercial for like T-Mobile and then Bud Light and then like a bunch of other ones. And it's like, oh, okay, seeing some rants, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never thought about whether that actually, you know, because it does make them easier when they're presented to you, right? These decisions. I've never thought about whether it causes people to seek them out. At face value, it seems like that could be a different mechanism that's mm-hmm. operating there because readiness i'm not sure would really do that but for me i mean it, it does sound like that could be some sort of priming you know you could have seen a billboard for chocolate you know 20 miles before and you could have thought oh let's get a chocolate bar mm-hmm. so it could be some of that stuff that's more specific priming um going on so as someone who has some readiness issues, I, I, I'm, you know, I was 15 minutes late this morning. I'm not much of a morning person. I, I have a lot of trouble getting out of bed, no matter how much sleep I've had. I, I have a little trouble being like, okay, how, how am I going to start my day? Exactly. What's my first action going to be that sort of thing? Should I just above my bed just have a bunch of random brands put up <laughs> everywhere and then i'll and then i'll be like oh i should go do yoga or something yeah. like that I'll, I'll just like make any decision yeah. just to like really for me it's just about like getting that inertia getting, getting there, that yeah. little bit of momentum started for the day yeah. is the single hardest part of my day so well that would be the I interesting thing right <laughs> is if that even if it if it worked, even though you knew about it, because now clearly you you know about it. I right? mean, and placebos you know often work, even when you tell people that it's a placebo. Oh, that's true, actually. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't know. That would be great, though. I mean, can you imagine that if we just started like plastering brand logos on our ceilings <laughs> in the bedrooms? <laughs> well, then I'm, I, mean, I'm I would need I'm that going too. to like. Uh, I'm going to have this weird little voice in my head where when I'm like out for a jog or whatever, I'm going to be like, this jog is brought to you by Pepsi. Um, well, it's got to be Pepsi, American Airlines. Uh, Pepsi, yeah, yeah. Or Coke. M- multiple sponsors. Yeah. No, not Coke. Oh, and that's then, right. Then uh, right. You, you need like, um, uh, why can't I think of a single other thing in the world right now? There are now? only millions of them, so it's okay. I, I totally understand. BMW. <laughs> I've been there. Um, <laughs> So you had I, I looked briefly at a few of of your papers mm-hmm. and when talking about priming, I mean this is such an interesting one because anyway, I'll just get into what I what I wanted to ask you about and then I guess reflect back on uh, this because I'm not sure how to present these ideas. But you had mm-hmm. some work with um, with agency, right? Mm-hmm. And and yeah. how people perceive their own agency yeah. and, and marketing's influence on that. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, sure. Yeah, so um, again, uh, some of the stuff I've been more interested in recently is uh, the interface between you know, um, people more generally and their lives and society and, and how that interfaces with brands. Um, so <clears throat> that paper uh, that, I, that you're referring to um, we study the effect of low control, low personal control. So when we feel like you know we can't really, um, we're not really in control of the things that are happening in our lives, and how that affects people's perceptions of brands. And so what we're finding is that when people have low personal control, um, 
they're more likely to endorse brand leaders. And when I say endorse, I mean they're more likely to um, consider buying them or support them in some way. So positive word of mouth, greater willingness to pay, uh, and so forth. Um, so the reason that happens is actually uh, it's related to other things that are uh, intertwined with the uh, theory of personal control. So when we feel like we um, lack control, there are several routes by which we can try to regain it. And regaining it is a big primary motivation in, in our daily lives. We want control in our lives. We want to be able to feel like we can affect our outcomes. Um, usually. Yeah, usually. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, this is actually something that I've been thinking quite a bit about lately, and I don't want to derail yeah, no, everything. It's, it's cool. But and, and this might be kind of overly complicated, and I might say a bunch of things, and at the end of it, have said just nothing at all but uh i'm (laughs) in my head i'm actually saying something relevant so i i've just been thinking about the idea of kind of free will and Mm -hmm. agency and how important it is to so many people in so many domains so a lot of just a, a little background much of our um much of my um favorite kind of lens through which to see the world is through an evolutionary lens and oh, i'm okay. often thinking oh, we're about the same. we're similar in that way then uh, yeah, yeah so i'm often thinking about why so so what i've been thinking about lately is why did we evolve this sense of kind of attaching wanting to attach to this quality of agency and free will because it is it's it is domain specific but if you mm. ask people like do you believe in free will or what? Like, it's a very important thing to people, but no one wants to be controlling their nervous system and be like oh, calculating yes. yeah, the blood right. flow or no one's counting. I didn't count the number of steps that I took up to your door um, coming up here. I'm moving my hands around not right now and I'm, I'm pretty happy that I'm not thinking like, okay, now move your arm this to this degree and mm-hmm. move your fingers this way. And then, and then in some kind of, and and then in other domains, like sometimes we want to, um, we want to be on a roller coaster or uh, be thrown a surprise party or have right. have all of these things where we're we're actually enjoying um, feeling out of control mm-hmm. or, or or being surprised or not having control over things. And then and then at the same time, there is this, uh, you know, the the hugest uh, the biggest stressors are of a feeling of lack of pr- predictability and lack of control or mm-hmm. these two big stressor things and that that people love having any little bit of placebo or yeah. if i take this supplement or if i do this and that i'm like taking action and yeah. taking command over my life and and um, ju- just from w- which is neither here or there whether we actually have free will or not which I'm a little suspicious that it's not <laughs> much of a thing it seems like we're kind of awash in a in a sea of priming and neurologic <laughs> behavior and and I'll, I'll you know the more that I learn about the brain I'm like eh, I'm not sure I've ever made a decision but um, <laughs> but uh, but it but it's but the idea that it's so important to us to me is potentially evidence that that is 
a feeling that was kind of important to our evolutionary past and something that maybe drove us to be more active or maybe reflect more i have no idea so so anyway that's a that's a whole big thing i've been thinking about lately independent of this podcast it's not a crazy idea to be honest um if i had to it's funny that you mentioned you kind of look at things through an evolutionary lens i i went to the university of minnesota where i was really really fortunate to work with some uh some great evolutionary uh, psychologists um if I had to speculate about the origins of um, personal control and its its role as a fundamental human motivation, I would guess that what it does is it allows us to um, it, it promotes action in the service of, of goals, right? So if we didn't let's let's think about the converse right like we let's say we believe that we have no control the mm. world is random outcomes just happen i have no um no ability to influence whether those things happen or not my sense is that what would happen to a lot of people is we would just hang out and not do anything because yeah. it wouldn't make a difference right if i you know, if I sat on the couch, you know, who knows? Can end up being a professor, you know? Yeah. <laughs> because it's random. Right. You know, because it might be I, I'm just smart enough to be a professor yeah. or dumb enough. I don't know which way that works. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Because there's learned helplessness right. that is just incredibly right. debilitating for, right. for people. And right. And so let's say that that is a thought that on base was on par with people who did believe that they had control. Eventually, I think the ones who didn't uh, believe that and the world was truly random. And I mean, there's some what we might call stochasticity or randomness to the world. But, you know, if you believe the world is truly random, and you're just like hanging out, not doing anything. Those people might not be as successful. Um, they might have been naturally selected out. Who knows? They could be sexually selected out and mm -hmm. not been able well, to yeah, reproduce. Well, yeah, because it's a bummer. As, yeah, but. yeah, right. Well, it's like, well, it's like, well, I'm just gonna hang out here because, um, you know, no, I'm, no one's trying to hook up with the the dude talking about how all of this is pointless right. and and, and right. meaningless. I found yeah. that out the hard way many times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so maybe hanging out under uh by the fire in the cave isn't such a great idea <laughs> for that but um but yeah so i there and and like you mentioned you know there are definitely situations and and i believe on on that they're likely to be you know few and, and nuanced but that we like to relinquish control and have absolutely no effect on our outcomes like you mentioned like um Hmm. Like surprise party. I would say the roller coaster is a weird one um, because you do have control. You don't feel like you have control in the moment, but you are only going on the roller coaster under full knowledge that the likelihood of you flying out of that seat and perishing is very, very, very low. So in the sense, you do have control over the decision to go right. on it. But in the moment, I, I agree, you I don't definitely have it. surprises generally mm -hmm. um, are something that we really mm -hmm. do enjoy. And yeah. surprises inherently within them wouldn't be surprises if we had control. Oh, absolutely. 
But I think we only really like the positive ones, right? Well, we if, like if scary we, movies. Oh, that's true. That's true. We do like scary movies. But would you go into that scary movie if you knew that, it might. you know, Freddy Krueger might jump out of the screen and like... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it is, maybe it is, there, the is there truly kind of risk benign. there? I guess is yeah. the question, and I'm not sure there really is. Hmm. Hmm. It's possible. Um, These are my favorite things to talk about, by the way. So <laughs> I'm enjoying this conversation. Actually, what's funny is now, now just like thinking about our, our paper again, is that we actually do um, have a study in which, in addition to um, manipulating people's of control uh, feelings of control using negative experiences we actually also do it using positive experiences now it's tough to come up with these from our standpoint but we actually what we actually have them do is we actually have them write about it like think about um uh, an event or time in your life when you had um or, sorry it was a positive time in your life that you had no control over what happened and we do get some of these things like um you know surprise parties and stuff like that that people write about but interestingly even that seems to produce the effect um and i think it is because this association between low control and a need to kind of regain control through various means whatever those may be uh, is so strong that even when we it, that control arises um, in the form of a positive event, we it, it's kind of like a knee jerk. You know, we still want it. It's just it's unconscious, automatic, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. That um, you know we don't really kind of feel it um, explicitly, but we do want it in, in that sense. Uh, so we do still see that effect. Um, when it's a positive event um, or a negative event, which is, it's, it's strange, but it happens. So, mm. yeah. Um, so, so what are the findings with, yeah. with that? Yeah. So we, we, we show that. Um, and, and also what is the like specific study? How do you, how do you go about um, uh, like someone comes in for the study? Oh, what, yeah. what are they actually going through yeah so i'll actually if it's all right i like to talk about two studies because terrific yeah one of them so when when you come in one of them has a lot otherwise of them, i'm just gonna start blabbing <laughs> about free will again and and, and oh, no, nobody want wants that no i i i do i will say i like actively engaging in <laughs> the areas of my mind that uh that kind of fall apart and are susceptible to the <laughs> Uh, like perceiving the chaos and yeah. uh, of the world and the indifference, I I like adventuring into those uh, parts of my mind yeah. more than more than most people. But I'm also a comedian who, um, you know, we often are paid to kind of peddle our darkness in a voyeuristic fashion. So so I'm, <laughs> I, I'm in a little so bit far. different. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> seem so far from being a professor, actually. I mean, like if you, the whole comedian thing doesn't work out, which it, it looks like it's going to be pretty good. Um, you know, you should really think about kind of getting to the academy. Oh, <laughs> You'd be thank great. you. All right. <laughs> I'm sure teaching ratings would be much better than mine are. So. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so we, uh, most of the studies are lab studies. Um, so we have people do is they come into the lab and we have people write about a time or an event in their lives where they had um, either complete control 
or no control. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we specify like this should be a negative event or a positive event or whatnot. But usually it's just, usually we actually just keep it to the negative event. So it's either a negative event where you had no control or a negative event where you had complete control. And then we get them to do just, you know, they read about a brand, whether it's sometimes it's fictitious, sometimes it's it's real. And the brand is described as either being a leader in their industry. And when we say leader, it means that they're the market share leader. Okay, so they have, you know, 80% of the market share, which interestingly, except for in, you know, you know a few industries, brand leaders don't really have that much, you know, market share, mm-hmm. <laughs> but people think that they do. So we have to tell them that it's like, you know, egregiously large or else they're like, that's not a leader if they have 12%, but you know, anyway, that's an aside. Mm-hmm. Um, or they have, you know, very little market shares, like, you know, 5%. Which actually is pretty big, but people think that's really small. So it, it just communicates that they're not a non-leader in the industry. Um, anyway, and so we um, have them evaluate the brand, um, and so yeah, people who um, have just written about a time in their life where they felt like they had no control are uh, more likely to give positive evaluations, uh, more likely to intend to purchase uh, a brand leader, but there's no difference for brand non-leaders. It's just, it's the same regardless of whether you wrote about your, whether you were low control or, you know, high control. So uh, yeah, and then we also measure, so one of the reason that we think this happens is that affiliating with brands that seem like they have what we call causal agency, you know, so, um, they can make things happen in the world. They influence the world in some way. Um, it gives, it gives us a sense that we ourselves have personal agency and this kind of mind trick or, or what you might call it, um, leads us to want to support these brands because supporting the brands is one way of affiliating with them, right? Being kind of their partner or whatnot, right? So, um, and that might sound kind of weird, but we've, we've seen this in other contexts too. So some of the foundational work and per- personal control theory is about how, um, low control actually induces an endorsement for God. And I want to say God, I mean, you know, uh, a controlling God, right? So one that controls outcomes in, in the world. Um, and also the incumbent government who, as we know, has widespread control. Um, so this is really a different, just a different flavor of that. Um, what that work shows or how they describe it mostly, however, is that when we have low control, we want to relinquish control to those other, you know, entities that can enforce unilateral, um, control. So, you know, if we believe in God, a controlling God, then that God can, has almost unilateral control over everything mm-hmm. or, you know, the government, if we endorse that government has unilateral control over most things in our general vicinity. So it's, it's a widespread control. Um, the way our work differs, however, is if you think about brand leaders and you think about, you know, at least in the capitalist society that we live in and where we do all our studies, by the way, uh, no single brand leader has the ability to 
influence everything in our world, right? It's 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 power is limited, even though it is a brand leader in that one industry. And so it really gives rise to this other cognitive process whereby it's really this affiliation that matters. So even if it's not unilaterally controlling, you know, affiliating with any kind of entity in the world that has this, you know, causal agency allows us to feel like we have personal agency. Oh, it's like, you know, if I'm, if I've got, Mm. you know, Walmart on my side, I can really accomplish (laughs) those goals. You know, I feel like I can, I can do it. Yeah. I'm going to get there. For sure. (laughs) On my side, you know? Um, (laughs) So it's funny. There's, there's this, this idea kind of came up in some literature before we started testing it. It was never really tested, but the uh, analogy that came up in that literature was, um, you know, you know, my dad can beat up your dad. <laughs> you know, I've got uh-huh. my dad on my side. Um, you know, so we're we're uh, kind of extending that idea into uh-huh. other things, obviously. But it it came up before, uh, and so that's you know, those are kind of the ways that we like to describe it. it is somewhat different from the endorsement of God and government, um, and it's interesting because if you think about really the, um the controlling forces in our world, you really think about like three domains, right? It's like spiritual, um, political and, you know, business. Right. And so it's really just that third extension of that idea, which is, which is really neat. Hmm. Um, but, but I, what I wanted to get to as well was, was this other study that we ran. Well, we didn't run it so much as just assemble the data. I have a bunch of thoughts about, everything that i just heard about so uh-huh. so i'm i'm just thinking a little bit more about agency and mm-hmm. and the um the quality uh, the the kind of subjective feeling of it mm-hmm. it almost feels like it's in some domains triggering a reward mechanism or so it, it's i guess so so to expand not not just do people want to be surprised but people want to assign agency to different things in different people in different scenarios like some people might say oh well um you know we're too hard on criminals because they didn't say they weren't of a certain age so they Mm -hmm. didn't have full agency yet and then other people might be like they they should have been responsible or some people you have something good happen to you and you're like Mm. i must have done that (laughs) something good happens to your coworker, and you go oh they just got lucky they didn't have agency (laughs) in that domain something bad happens to you you uh, uh, like uh, lack of agency kind of lets you off the hook in many ways Mm -hmm. well this was some plot against me or, or you know things things went wrong or whatever and so it wasn't my fault Mm. whereas you know some someone else has a failure at work well they shouldn't have done that that Mm -hmm. was their agency that got them uh fired or or what Mm. have you Mm -hmm. and um and then uh, that that is i guess thinking of those unilateral um of i mean the idea of god or something like that or a big government that feels like a, almost like a security blanket in a way to me whereas that i i do wonder why people respond to brand i i don't to me i i wonder is there a sense of just 
like because people don't want to feel manipulated by a brand Mm -hmm. like i've i've explained to Mm. people on stage before like hey i'm going to try to tell you or i'm going to sell you these things after a show here's some of the tricks that i'm using to sell you (laughs) things and people just as an experiment and people have like a really adverse reaction to that and that and that feeling of being manipulated whereas like whereas you take something like um like an american car company or whatever and so many people are like I'm an American. I I'm supporting this company. I have this brand loyalty and like they they are supporting me in some way. We're like this partnership which is building a better future together. Right. Well, yeah. uh, well I have my silly obnoxious truck or what have you. <laughs> so I don't know. I I just had a lot of like that 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 impression of agency that that um that a company gives it doesn't it, it it's like such a positive feeling it, it it almost it it just feels like there's some sort of reward mechanism the same mm-hmm. as like a compliment or something like mm-hmm. that it, it kind of it just feels good yeah yeah I, I do think agency feels good because we the reason we want agency is because we want to seek out our own outcomes mm-hmm. you know i want to really feel like you know, if I want to go out and get that promotion, that if I invest, well, I shouldn't. That's a different idea, but um, that I can, I have the 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 tools I need to do to get it done. You know, yeah. that I can really put in the effort and, and do it. Now, certainly, one of the things that uh, interacts with that is the structure of the environment, right? So if the structure of the environment is random or it has a lot of randomness in it, that could play into your beliefs of agency as well. But on, on the basis, you know, it's really a feeling like, okay, you know, I can really go after what I want. Um, and if I put in the effort, it's, 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 it's going to happen, you know? And so that's a really good feeling for people, I think, because it gives us, um, it gives us choice. You know, it gives us the choice of putting that effort and and going and getting it or or not. You know, and so, but we want to have that option there. We want to have the option to to go out and, and and do it. And a lot of times people do, right? And so I think that's where that, if I had to guess, I think that's where that positive feeling comes from. That like, oh yeah, I can, you know, I can do it now. Especially now that Walmart's on my side, you know, I'm I'm gonna go out and get it. You yeah. know, and so, um, I do think that that is kind of a a positive feeling. Now, we have um. So we actually have this study where uh, we have we didn't even run it per se. We we assembled it from from different data sources, and um, we what we did was we took um, ratings from Interbrand. The Interbrand does this um, huge survey, big panel of I can't remember how many consumers. It's in the you know tens of thousands of ratings. I, don't, I can't remember how many cons- unique consumers it was, um, but they rate a variety of brands and each person rates a different set of brands. Um, and, and they also rate, um, so they rate whether they'd be likely to, to purchase a brand and as well, whether they think the brand is a leader, right? <clears throat> and we look at that data uh, and attach it to FBI crime data um, at the county level. So we kind of match each person up with 
whatever county they're from in the United States. And we look at the crime in that area. And so the idea is that like one of the more pervasive kind of modulators of personal control is crime. Right? And there's a lot of crime, there's killing in the streets. Like, yeah, probably have very little control. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of randomness kind of in my environment. Um, and what we find is that people in these high crime neighborhoods, um, they're more likely to want to purchase brand leaders, but not brand non-leaders, right? Mm. And that happens even if we statistically control for things like brand quality, um, income even, um, brand status. So it's not about whether the brand is, you know, luxury or not, which sometimes people think when they think of brand, brand leaders, it's like Louis Vuitton and like Gucci mm. and stuff, but it's not, it's, it's like, the ones that are really leading their industries and some of those do do but it's really about leadership not status and so it's really interesting because you were able to observe this in the real world and you know when you think about the real world and purchase intentions like there's a lot of stuff that goes into that you know like how i'm feeling in the moment some of this like priming stuff we were talking about you know like um it's it's really it's really it was a great feeling for us at least to see that, wow, like some of these things that we're finding in these really, really sterile controlled environments, they show up in the real world in ways that are very natural. Like we're not manipulating this in the real world. We're just proxying for it in data using things like crime, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, it's so strange, mm -hmm. but it's, it's really, really great. So, yeah. So, First off, before we start wrapping up, mm -hmm. um, I hope this isn't a surprise for you. Mm -hmm. I think that I emailed you, but I have my guests each week plug a charity mm -hmm. of their choice. Okay. Yeah. Whew. No, I, I remember was, that. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. I, I sometimes, I, I'm usually, that's like one of my, uh, one of my like uh, on the, on the checklist of things that I mentioned mm -hmm. before we hit record is make yeah. sure that someone has that on the ready <laughs> rather than having them, but you're, you're good to go. <laughs> you're, you're in control over this nice. situation. Nice. Uh, well, one of the causes that I, and particularly my wife really believe in is, uh, really getting rid of, you know, child hunger in America. Um, and so there are a lot of fantastic organizations that do it. Um, one organization that we particularly like is No Kid Hungry. Um, it's easy to donate to. Um, they have a they have a bunch of different programs that not only actually supply food, you know, to to children, uh, particularly low SES children, but also uh, really have programs that um, connect them and their parents with cooking habits and eating habits in ways that are uh, sustainable for them. Uh, so yes, if you, um, would like to donate, it's nokidhungry.org. Um, $1 provides on average 10 meals for a child. So, you know, every dollar truly counts there. And that's, that's a, you know, it's a cause that, you know, my, my wife and I really believe in. She grew up in the States. I, I happen to grow up in Canada, but she went to school with some kids who, you know, weren't eating lunch the way she was and mm -hmm. she, it's always stuck with her you know mm -hmm. and so it's something that we'd like to get more involved with in the future and in a more direct way as well so uh, i hope everybody gets out there and supports it yeah so listeners you can feed hungry children i mean <laughs> 
It's a pretty noble cause, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I would say. I, I, I don't think there's too many people out there against feeding yeah, There's not going to be some uprising on the podcast. <laughs> hungry children. <laughs> no, I, I think that's a wonderful thing to be involved in. Um, so um, as we as we wrap up, and we don't, uh, we still have a little bit of time here, but um, I want to make sure, first off, if there was, you sent me four papers, I think, right? Did we kind of cover Yeah, those? I think so, yeah. Um, what what do you have, um, like, uh, going forward, what's what's kind of your next projects coming up? What's been... <laughs> What's been on your mind? What are you looking forward to doing in the future? Yeah, so I'm, um, I'm looking forward to really uh, uncovering branding uh, as it relates to both society as well as businesses. Uh, so, some of the projects that we've got up going now, we're uh, studying brand logos. Um, we've got one. We've got a few studies in it now um, about how uh, text spacing and brand logos leads to. Um, inferences of status in those brands. Um, there's been a lot of brand logo changes recently, and some of them have really expanded the brand name, like in the visual sense, expanded it uh, by increasing the spacing in the in the letters. Um, and what we found is that increases people's perceptions of that brand status. Um, so that's one of the ones we're looking at. Some of the projects that I, I've been, I really need to start, um, but I'm really looking forward to uncovering all the other things related to brand exposure. Um, I think that's going to be my big thing as I move on. It's like, what's what happens really when we are exposed uh, to to a variety of brands mm. um, and really uncovering what that network looks like? Um, because in, you know, a lot of the Western world, I mean, we're really inundated by brands. Um, and so, you know, we have a paper that I talked about you know, earlier and that's got some neutral to positive outcomes, perhaps. And if you think about it that way, that are... There could be some negative ones. There could be more positive ones. I mean, who knows? This stuff is all up for investigation. So I'm really excited to learn more about it. So is there anything from any of your research that people could use to just kind of be more mindful um, in their everyday lives and how they're influenced by some of these brands and, and some of the um, positive or negative effects that it that it may be having on them? I'm actually not sure. <laughs> I mean, that's always a question I dread. Like, why is this meaningful? <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Speaking yeah. of not being able to get yeah. out of bed in the morning, that's 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 my first question each day. <laughs> I do. I do think that um, you know whether businesses are cognizant cognizant of it or not. I mean, we are being exposed to a variety of brands, and to the extent that we can uh, expand some of my findings to suggest that you know, we're engaging in more consumption, like consumption in the sense that we're buying more stuff as a result of being exposed to brands, then we should really think about that as an, you know, as an effect, mm -hmm. you know, and like, okay, like I'm walking in the mall, right? Not only is this stuff available, but being exposed to brands is likely going to make me, you know, seek out these decisions. It could make me seek out these decisions more because they're easier. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, let's just, you know, cognitively control for that to the extent we can. Like, do I really, you know, am I wanting this just because the decision is easier or do I truly want it? You know, and that's that's perhaps one of the things that we can, um, we should maybe think about as we are uh, exposed to these things. 
All right. Well, terrific. I had a wonderful conversation with you. So thanks for joining me on the show, Ryan Rahanel. Thank you very much. And thank you, listeners, for being such wonderful, curious people. And we'll talk with you more next week. So, coming up next week on the show, and this is going to be relevant to some of the bonus content for today, I'm going to talk a little bit about the some of the behind-the-scenes stuff uh, with my life with stand-up science and the podcast and some a few other things that I have going on, some of the ideas I've been kicking around, some of the things I've been trying to put together, some of the hurdles that I'm uh, facing trying to figure some of this stuff out. Maybe you guys will have some ideas for me. But next week on the show, Sophia Rocklin is joining me. She has a new book, When Plants Dream. Fantastic book about ayahuasca. Uh, once in a while, I get to, you know, I meet a lot of different academics, a lot of different people doing all sorts of fields of study, and I often have these very brief interactions and just record a podcast and never see one another again and sometimes I just click with somebody and there's a certain set of circumstances and that was the case with uh, my new very good friend Sophia who uh, we were in the Azora festival outside of Budapest together and then also each were giving talks during the um, psychedelic research conference breaking convention in London and so we had a bunch of time to hang out and hopefully uh, gonna get her on some stand-up science shows coming out so this is something I've been working on for a long time um, well I, I guess since starting stand-up science I've been figuring out so as we're, we're we're now really far behind on some of the booking I had I was overseas for a month and my manager left the business um, all all in that time and um, my assistant was taking over everything and the entertainment business is is real rough and uh, you know seems like a lot of fun and sometimes you have a manager and then they decide you know what this is not uh, paying enough. I'm going to go back to tutoring. Um, and so that just happens sometimes. And now I'm way behind on on booking live shows and having to take on that with my assistant, Rihanna, who's doing a fantastic job with everything. But we're trying to get caught out. I want to uh, caught up and I want to be booked out like ideally five, six months in advance for a whole bunch of reasons in terms of marketing and getting guests and everything else. But one of the things that I really want to do as I'm going to be driving, trying to do about three stand-up science shows a week in different cities, a couple hours apart. And what my um, what my eventual goal is, is when there's opportunities, there's been a couple times where I've been able to take a comic along with me for a string of shows and then we're kind of like flowing really well in the Q&A at the end, stand-up science. Um, if, if you haven't heard me talk about it before, it's two scientists and me and a second comic on each show. It's I host and then I introduce an academic to give a 10-minute talk. I riff on that. Then there's a comic and then another academic talk and then all four of us get on stage for a Q&A and it's sometimes hard to find the right comic that you gel with and so just makes things easier to have someone with me for a while and I'm trying to I've been trying to reach out and uh, I, I need to send out another email blast to a lot of past guests and whatnot um, but the idea is that hopefully 
I would eventually be going through an area where an academic has a book, like especially a new book that they're coming out with and doing a lot of promo for. Maybe they're on sabbatical and they have an old book, something like that. Someone with a book um, to come along, who's also a good presenter, to come along for a few dates. So we learn to gel a little more on stage and, and, um, and they get a better feel for the show. And I think that would really increase the quality of, of the show it's a it's a great show and loads of fun um, but there's just so many variables and and um, you know you don't know until you see someone um, give a talk how much their stuff is going to resonate with the crowd and so so finding people that I connect well with that can benefit from rather than doing um, you know like a tour of of little bookstores uh, doing doing their kind of book release tour during stand-up science, taken along for one or two weeks or something like that, and um, really building the show and, and putting something um, uh, special together. And, and so I've been uh, toying with that idea, and it's just, there's so many moving parts, you know, finding, um, finding authors. I have a big map of all the different authors around the country that I'm looking into getting, and and um, so Sophia and I have been talking about uh, maybe experimenting with this, and if it works out, I'm going to do it with a whole bunch of more academics. And I think it would be so much fun to have, uh, you know, book signing afterwards and benefit them. They get their books out more, and it benefits you guys getting to meet them and maybe ask lots more. You get to ask. There's a Q&A at the end of the show, but we don't get to everybody to have a little more personal um, Q&A with, uh, with the academics. and. What I really like about stand-up science is it draws in uh, a group of people that are, in in my opinion, underserved. People that are looking for more uh, intellectual kind of entertainment. So I try to pr- provide. I don't always hit the mark, but mind you, I I, I don't. I think there's, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there a whole lot more intelligent than me and everything else. And um, but. But there is, uh, but that's that's what we're aiming for, and um, you know, I've always been kind of averse to um, church my whole life. I had a strict religious upbringing, but I really uh, do believe in the communal aspect of it, and I would like to figure out something where it's like people can hang out a little bit afterwards. Maybe once in a while, there's live music. That's a whole nother moving part to put that together, but. Um, if if not, even just finding um, spaces that have like a bar area to hang out afterwards to play some music and have have more. What I'd really love is for people to be meet meeting other um, kind of like-minded people in their cities and breaking off and having their own conversations and um, so so that's kind of like a very idealized picture of what stand-up science could one day be. Right now, we're just playing a whole lot of catch-up, and it's going to take tons of work to get six months ahead. But once we do that um, and, and have kind of a smooth running system, I'm, I'm trying to get all of the administrative stuff, all the booking of venues, all of the, all of the um, booking of guests, uh, the emailing, all of that stuff out of my hands as soon as possible. I, I do a lot of that, do all our own marketing and everything else. And so it's now all, all in-house and, and hopefully done by my assistant who I'm now figuring out how to pay her for a full-time job rather than part-time. And um, so, you know, money's always such a constraint in 
doing these things. So now this is kind of my first time in my life that I'm producing shows and booking other people. And it's interesting. It's fun. It's overwhelming. Um, uh, organization is not my strong suit. It, and it, it's I, I'm really inspired and creative right now and having a lot of uh, great ideas and excited about the future. And at the same time, that, that comes along with a lot of um, being very overwhelmed with just the kind of you know, having having a cool idea for a show is one thing. Pulling it off is a whole nother thing. And um, in terms of that, one of the things that I've been thinking about doing, inspired by doing all these great festivals and everything this summer is, is, is there a way that I can once in a while put together um, or maybe do a short tour, put uh, uh, revamping my psychedelic show. My, my good trip tour was the highest quality um, show most exciting tour of my life and really cool audience that came out to that and how could I rework it so you know they're, they're, I'm doing material but then having um, having a, a researcher you know a psychedelic author or something um, tagging along for some of the shows and finding different people finding like the harm reduction people and people in various organizations locally I did that a little bit I would have people give like a little five or ten minute spiel after an intermission um, uh, on the good trip tour and looking back on it that was really a really cool element that I want to do more of so rather than just having it be like a quick little five or ten minute thing maybe maybe having a longer kind of day-long almost like a, a traveling conference type of thing with with um, more people, not not just and not just psychedelic researchers, like people researching dreams, philosophers, things that kind of fall under the umbrella of trippy kind of topics, and pairing that with maybe some some psychedelic inspired music when when I can find um, the right. You know, this is now you're getting into figuring out how to have someone haul their instruments around and everything else and trying to sort that out this is this is something that'd be maybe a year from now in a best case scenario but it is something that i'm aiming for and i'm looking to maybe even at the end of this year experiment with a few of these shows because uh, i i also meet all these live or the all of these artists everywhere and i've just been meeting um you know i i think that if people saw some of the um, psychedelic art. I, I know a lot of you in out there uh, who listen to me might already be, you've already Googled DMT images or whatever and seen all sorts of uh, psychedelic inspired art, but but a lot of people still haven't. And to have, to have an artist on stage maybe give a presentation about, because I, I really find the story behind some of these pieces is is really what is is such a huge part of what makes the appreciation of it and i i have this dmt talk that i've been sitting on that i did in azora and it'd be a way of mixing um you know doing a comedy show and then doing a talk and having other people do talks and having like a day-long psychedelic extravaganza um tons of moving parts i've been putting it together i've been networking with uh, different people in different communities and trying to organize um, all of this on maps and stuff so I can see uh, what what cities this would work in, where I have connections, um, who can potentially travel with me for a week or two, trying to get a van with some back seats so maybe I can 
take multiple people with me and and you know, I'm living out of Airbnbs right now and getting us uh, houses to stay in along the travels and so you know all these are there's financial constraints there's time constraints in putting this all together but you know I, I think that I I think that I could do it eventually you know one of the things that is the biggest constraint is I, I believe that if my good my good trip show was turned into a special and was on a big platform um, it would be really big for me and for that uh, community and it's the best show that I've ever put together and it's kind of been frustrating I try not to let the bitter bug get to me ever but that is that's my one real hang-up in my in my career where um, you know I, I think that I've uh, fallen short of of my potential in a lot of ways and and could have done more with a lot of the opportunities that I've had and have maybe let the industry down a few times when when they believed and supported in my projects but I definitely have felt let down by the industry in this particular um, uh, example because uh, people just I'm shocked that people just don't seem to get it even um, you know Michael Pollan's book came out and and uh, you know it's in the front of bookstores now and it just seems like the audience is there people are really becoming aware of this stuff and and the the industry is often just so many steps behind where where the culture is moving and and um, you know I'm gonna put out a good trip special and I imagine it would be successful and then everyone will all of a sudden be scrambling well we need more psychedelic comedy that's just how something needs to be tried and proven before that and there's all these hang-ups with with talking positively about mind-altering substances whereas you can do like these after-school special you know Comedy Central will have me on this isn't happening to tell a story of like driving on LSD and crashing my car like the stupid shit that um, no one should do just a, a mistake stakes of a young man but they're all too happy to put something like that on television but not to talk about the positive influences that these things can have in people's lives so um you know psychonautics has done um done okay and now that it's on amazon prime a lot more people are watching it and seeing it uh, the feedback has been fantastic uh one thing you guys can do to help out is write a review on any platform that you got it on and or all the platforms please spread the word have other people um uh, have other people check it out uh you know it's my first documentary there's definitely things that we'd go back and change um about it in hindsight and that's the way everything is you record a special or an album or anything and listen back to old material or um you know authors go through this with books that they would be like oh i want to wrote that if i would have known what i know now and that's just that's just part of uh part of life but i am uh, i am overall really happy with how the documentary came out i mean i just get emails from people constantly um uh, saying that they've had similar experiences or it inspired them to um, look into some alternative treatment models like you know ketamine's fairly accessible um, these days in clinical settings um, because it's a schedule three and so you know trying to figure out how to make all this happen and and um, so I, I don't know I don't know what a traveling psychedelic circus would look like I, I know um, what the idea of it would look like in my mind. I don't know what it would look like the log logistically of actually um, piecing everything together and 
and finding people in each city, having people travel with me, whatever. But um, but that's all stuff I'm hoping to try out toward the end of this year, both, both with having um, more authors or an author or two even traveling with me during stand-up science so you know then they can really hone their talk for the audience really well and uh, i just think it would just make everything so much better um and 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 people you know when you can promote someone that has a book people are like oh they have a book um and so so it just helps me with marketing and helps create other opportunities for getting on um kind of different programs to promote the show and so yeah so that's everything that i've been kind of excited about and working on i've just been really overwhelmed since i got back with all of this i'm just really far behind on all of it i had way too much fun in Europe. It was amazing. I'm never going to forget it. I really highly recommend um, uh, trying to catch a Psytrance festival sometime. Or you know, I really want to do Burning Man. Now that I've experienced that, I, I'm Burning Man makes me a hair nervous. But um, but uh, just really special, memorable experiences in this breaking convention conference that I did it was just such a blast and so interesting and the people there are just just the best and I, I think they'd mix really well with my science enthusiasts uh, out there and they're really attentive sharp audience and and uh, I um, so yeah so those are some of the things that I'm that I'm putting together but you know one another thing you can do is is uh, support the authors that I do have on the show uh, like if, if you uh if you check out Sophia Rockland's book it by the time you're hearing this it probably just came out and it, it's it's coming out this week and so check that out you can read it ahead of time and it'll give you some context for the interview I'm hoping to have her on again sometime too to follow up um I I, I want to eventually start having um, once in a while having two part here we are podcast I have I have one coming up in a couple weeks there's going to be the bonus episode week and it's two episodes with this guy Barrett Klein who's awesome um, studying insects and um, so I'm looking to do more of that when I when I find someone that I really gel with um, you know just uh, figuring out how do I get them on stand-up science more how do we um, uh, you know, maybe have them on the podcast more often when I already know that it's someone that I'm just, uh, we just really click. Um, so yeah, so those are the things I've been figuring out. Maybe you guys will have, uh, some, some, uh, novel ideas for me or, uh, you, you know, you guys are, are, are pretty good about sending guest suggestions my way. That's really cool. I had someone write me recently that, um, that didn't like one of the academics' takes on things and thought that they had recommendations for, for guests that would have some good contrary point of views. That is amazing. That's perfect. That's what my show is all about, is, is seeing as many kind of different perspectives, especially on, on some of the same topics. Um, getting a different point of view and different lenses to view the world is what I am all about. So always send those suggest- suggestions. They they basically, I, I forward them to my assistant who adds them, figures out where those people are based out of, and then kind of coordinates 
with them hopefully when I'm routing through that area. All things that are going to be made easier when I have my schedule planned out further in advance. So that's the goal right now, but you can also support me by by checking out um, Stand Up Science, going to Shane Moss, M-A-U-S-S dot com, and seeing when Stand Up Science is coming your way. Right now I have my September is just jam-packed. We're definitely doing at least three of them a week, and then I'll have, um, I'll have a lot more coming up in October as well, but I have, um, just leaving the Northwest, I have Fort Wayne, Indiana, Lansing, Michigan, Kalamazoo, Michigan, Royal Oak, Michigan, Cleveland, Ohio, um, so I have one comic with me for all those, a comic friend of mine, uh, Rob O'Reilly, who's really funny, and then I have another comic friend of mine tagging along with me for another run, Washington, uh, Mike Kaplan, one of my favorite comics, one of the smartest comics working today uh, in Washington, D.C., Richmond, Virginia, Raleigh, North Carolina, Greensboro, North Carolina, Asheville, uh, Athens, and then Atlanta, um, and then figuring it out. Um, from there, got a whole bunch of a uh, whole bunch of other stuff um, in the works that I'll be sharing with you guys as things kind of fall into place. Um, and I'm I need to start, guys. It makes such a difference when you exercise regularly. I completely fell out of exercising. Can't seem to get those habits started again. Oh no! I was so happy. Why? Why can't my brain just like feel that? how happy I was and motivate me to get back to that place. Things are going well. I'm, I'm getting there. I just have a lot on my platter right now, and I'm, I'm really, really, really overwhelmed, but in, in a cool, fun way that's also creating a lot of opportunities, and the shows are going well. Um, they're expensive to put on, so I'm like figuring out how to, how to minimize costs, so um, or, you know, I'm going to have to increase ticket sales if I start kind of putting more into, um, these, these bigger events, something like that. Um, but trying to, trying to figure out where that, um, that working on balance right now, I'm, I'm out of balance right now and I'm, I'm working on getting some balance back. So I'll keep you guys updated with what's going on. And I, I appreciate you being interested in this kind of this uh, bonus content by the way never never feel obligated to listen to the bonus content i know there's so much stuff out there um for you guys uh to listen to and i appreciate that you chose to spend some time with me and hear a little extra of what's going on behind the scenes i I don't know how interesting it is to the average person you know obviously it's very interesting for my life because because it's my life and there's just all this crazy stuff being put together all the time that i'm really excited to share um and uh uh, hopefully it doesn't come off as just me me doing a bunch of boring plugs. Um, I'm, I hope that you're interested in this. I, I love hearing how how the artists that I'm into um, and people that inspire me kind of uh, sort things out and put things together. And I, I love when people share things of their personal lives and when they're going through struggles. And man, I have, I've been, I've been hitting up, I, I mean, it's been, um, putting stand-up science together has been a, a struggle from the get-go and it has been a lot of work. And I was in a groove for a while there and unfortunately a lot of the hiccups um, got resolved when I was in the groove and now that I'm out of the groove it's getting every 
every little, this is the real big difference with exercise, is that the little obstacles in life just don't phase you as much when you're taking really good care of yourself. So that's my big obstacle right now is to take better care of myself so that I'm better at dealing with other obstacles. So it's endless life, guys. It is a, There is a lot to do, and some of that involves having fun and, and playtime. I've been getting a little too much into playtime um, lately, but that's been a, a, a fun and rewarding and, and creatively... Um, rewarding uh adventure as well so back to back to putting on um my managerial uh, costume um uh, uh, kind of getting rid of my festival outfit been wearing a top hat on stage for funsies in case any of you guys are are uh checking the instagram or something and 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 seeing that try to top hat on at a festival at a vintage booth is in england from the early 1900s put it on for a joke looked in the mirror i was like damn guess i'm wearing a top hat i do feel like a a bit of a uh ringmaster in this in this science comedy uh circus that i'm putting together so it's uh it's kind of silly and and fitting and it 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 looks better than i i would have thought it would have so um so yeah trying trying new things and having fun out there so i hope you guys get a chance to uh to see stand up science i'll let you take a picture um with my top hat on if you come out make sure and say hi afterwards i love hearing from you guys you podcast listeners when you come out to live shows let me know that if you listen to this podcast please don't leave without saying hi i want to thank you personally for listening to, uh, listening to um the podcast and you know if there's if there's not a ton of um, people around maybe we can even have a little bit of a conversation after a show too that's that's what i really want to start building toward is is having like a meet up hang out meet and greet kind of situation afterwards and again not just meeting me or the scientists or whatever and that's cool and fun but then we leave town and and you don't see us again what about meeting um meeting like-minded people in your community in these in these shows that, that I think that would be really cool and it's always cool to me when I when I see people that have like made friends and made connections through one of my shows I I have people that were on like their first date at one of my shows that years later got married and that sort of thing is always super cool to me um so more of that please and those of you that listen all the way to the end you are of course my favorites
Scarpins Audio, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.